Good morning, church. You are the Lord who have made it here before the rain. Um, and good morning to those of you who are online with us. Um, it's so good um, to be here today. And thank you, Jenny, uh, for those prayers. And I want to echo something very important that um, Carol said. We need coffee baristas. <laughs> so sign up soon. I think it will be a lot of fun, you know, learning to do this together. Um, it's a way of fellowshipping together as well, not just the making coffee, but, you know, just have fun learning together. So do sign up if you are interested. And um, now, this week, we have come to our last sermon in the Galatians series. And this is the very last part of Paul's letter to the Galatian church that we'll be looking at um, shortly. We see him, um, could you guys start the clock so I don't go for two hours? Thank you. <laughs> um, so we see him bringing all that he has said in the letter to a close, even a climax. And this last part of the letter is special because scholars believe that it was actually handwritten by Paul himself. So what do I mean by that? So Paul wrote this whole letter, but he did not handwrite all of it himself. He had secretarial help. See, back in those days, people often used a scribe to help with the actual writing. So Paul would dictate and his scribe would do the writing. Something like this. So Paul dictates all the way until this very last part, our passage today. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 18, until this part. Then Paul decides to take over and write the last part himself. So what this signifies is a sense of personal commitment and affection. And also an added emphasis on what is being said or what will be said. See, in the letter, if you have been with us through the whole Galatians series, um, you would have noticed that the whole letter is filled with strong emotions and strong language. And this is his final heartfelt appeal to the church, which he deeply loves and cares for. So let's read the passage together. See, let's read together. Yeah. See what big letters I make as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your flesh. But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is new creation. And all who will behave in accordance with this rule, peace and mercy be on them and on the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's pray. 
Um, God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that um, you guide us in how we live. You guide us in how we do life. You guide us in how we do community. So we thank you um, for your word, and we pray for the empowering of your Holy Spirit as we seek to do and be what you wish us to do and be. Amen. So let's talk about boasting. So boasting, or maybe the more pejorative term, bragging, it is quite an art form. See, there is outright boasting. I mean, easy to catch. And there's also indirect boasting, also known as humble bragging. See, I grew up with that kind, the indirect kind. Mostly listening to how my parents and their friends talk about their kids. It goes something like this. Wow, your daughter is so smart, huh? Nola, Nola, so stupid. Last test only got 98. Must work harder. Or something like this. Wow, I heard your son is on the national team. Impressive. Yeah, he is, but only ranked number two, you know. So, you know, bragging comes in all forms. And more recently, I was made aware of the term under-bragging. Now, who knows that term? Okay, good. So I, I was like, wow, there's such a thing. Um, so apparently, it is a boast which consists of openly admitting to failings in a way that proves you are confident enough not to care what others think of you. So you have direct bragging, you have humble bragging, you have under bragging. See, there are so many ways to boast and so many things to boast about. Anything can be a subject of boasting. You know, good things, not so good things, and everything in between. Now, what we boast about is often connected to what we adopt as our identity. Our identity can be anchored in so many things, right? I mean, academic achievements, work achievements, your titles, your ethnicity, your nationality, the passport you hold, social and political um, persuasions, the brand name school you went to. Basically, many things that could make us look good. And this desire to look good goes deep, deep. And it is very pervasive, both inside and outside the church. But sometimes, inside the church, is a little bit harder to spot. Why? Because we dress it up more, usually under the cloak of a godly agenda or a religious cause. And that's what we are seeing here in the situation of the Galatian church. A seemingly godly agenda a group of people um, are trying to push in order to look good. So for the benefit of those of you who have not joined us in the series, Paul wrote this letter in response to how the Galatian church was succumbing to the teaching of some Jewish Christians who came into the church and began insisting that Gentile believers had to be circumcised in order to become a full member of God's family. And the church became divided because of that. So outwardly, their agenda was meant to be a godly thing since it looked like it was helping the Galatian church to become more obedient to God's law. But Paul called them out. He called 
the troublemakers out. He says here, Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your flesh. See, boasting about your flesh is literally boasting about the cut of flesh from the circumcision. And they want to boast about that to make a good showing. See, make a good showing. Now, the Greek word for making a good showing is literally to have a good face. It is about making a good impression, about looking good. The circumcision party wants the Gentile believers to be circumcised because of how it would reflect on them. See, in an honor and shame and perhaps collectivist culture, personal identity is very much tied to the group identity. If the group looks good, then I look good. It is not so different from the Chinese um, idea of face. But it's not just a face thing. They also want to look good to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, what is that supposed to mean? I mean, what is it about the cross of Christ that could trigger persecution? So, okay, think of it this way. If I said, Jesus died on the cross, then you go, uh, okay. But if I said, now the cross of Christ is all you need for acceptance with God, now that's triggering. It's triggering for the Jewish community for so many generations. The, the Jewish law has helped define them as God's people. We are God's people. We follow the law. And suddenly you are saying that only Jesus is enough? Like J Jesus is enough? But that's what the true gospel is for Paul. Some of you might remember this slide from earlier on. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is your it's the road to membership. And what did Paul spend a lot of time doing in the beginning of the, I mean, in most of the letter? He spent a lot of time defending the true gospel. But you see, many people in the Jewish community would resist this, even if they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Which means that anyone who proclaimed Jesus without requiring, requiring circumcision would likely invite resistance and opposition from the Jewish community, even physical beating, like what happened to Paul on several occasions. So one way to avoid persecution is to deny the absolute sufficiency of the cross and proclaim this gospel instead. It's the, call it the Jesus plus gospel. So for the Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago, the plus was circumcision and the Jewish law. And um, doing this, you know, helps them feel like, you know, they can be part of the, the, the important group. Um, they don't have to be rejected. And today, circumcision is no longer an issue for us, well, at least not in this culture. But do you think that there could be other things that we put up which could make it more difficult for people to be fully included in God's family and the life of the family. So in an earlier sermon in this series, I talked about how we could subconsciously send a message that you have to become like me in order to be part of the family. 
So maybe you have to speak my language. Maybe you have to have the same skin color as, as I have. Maybe you have to be in my social class. Then we can do life together. And the thing about anything subconscious is that we might not be aware. We might not always be aware of the inner motivations in our hearts. You know, they are hard to detect unless we make a concerted effort to pay attention to them. And this passage, um, this last bit of Galatians, gives us one good insight into how we can pay attention to what's really going on in here. One way we can pay attention is to reflect on the things that we boast about, especially the silent boasting in our hearts that no one sees. But God, of course. See, anything can become a badge of honor that we use to elevate ourselves against another. Now, circumcision can be a badge of honor, right? As you can see here, but so can uncircumcision. When we boast about circumcision, we are saying, we are not like them, the uncircumcised. We are better. Now, at the same time, one can also boast about uncircumcision, also saying, we are not like them, the circumcised. You know, it's a little bit like reverse discrimination, discriminating against those who discriminate. Did you get that? Discriminating against those who discriminate. And so anything can become a badge of honor for us. Anything can be that thing that we root our identity in, that we use to elevate ourselves. And sometimes the badge of honor could, doesn't have to be a thing. It could simply be, I'm not like them, and that is my badge of honor. So Paul takes a very strong stand against boasting, especially when it happens within a community of believers. Not just because it is wrong, the way we understand wrong to be, but because boasting by its very nature divides. Boasting by its very nature divides. It undermines what God has done in Jesus Christ, which is making humanity one in Him, in and through the cross, creating one family. So when, what we boast about reveals where we find our ultimate identity. It reveals who and what we identify with most. And sometimes the confusion for us Christians is that we equate anchoring our identity in religious stuff with the true cause of Christ. Let me say it another way. It's, so putting our identity in a good Christian cause is not the same as putting our identity in Christ. Putting our identity in a good Christian cause is not the same as putting our identity in Christ. Putting our identity in religious stuff can lead to division and boasting. It can become all about how much I am doing for God at the expense, perhaps, of my relationship with my brothers and sisters. But putting my identity in Christ means that I recognize that I am given a place at the table just because of the sheer grace of God alone. I bring nothing to the table 
nothing. So we all got invited to God's family by sheer grace alone. And grace alone will lead us home. And so when we recognize that it's grace all the way, we also realize that there's really nothing for us to boast about except boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is the only kind of boasting that is not about me, but about what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished. It is the kind of boasting that says, less of me and more of you, Lord. And it's the only kind of boasting that does not divide because the cross is about reconciliation. The cross is where the powers that are behind division, strife, factions have been disarmed. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world, says Paul. So the powers do not own me anymore. I have been set free, set free from old life for new life, set free from life in the flesh for life in the spirit, set free from the values of the present evil age for the values of the new creation. Now, what does that look like? It looks like faith working itself out in love. Love for God and one another. Love for the ultimate cause of Christ, which is reconciliation, reconciling us to God and to one another. Christ died for that. Christ did not die for a single Christian cause, but Christ died for the world, for reconciliation, for us to live in a new way, the new creation way. And what is the new creation way? Talks here about new creation. What is it? In the next verse, we read here that all who will behave in accordance with this rule, peace and mercy be on them and on the Israel of God. This rule is the new creation way, and what it is, is life by the Spirit. See the word behave there? It's meant to evoke Galatians 5.25, which says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Let us put to death our fleshly nature and our boasting in the flesh. Dr. Uh, Matthew Voss, a professor from Covenant College, uh, says this very beautiful, beautifully. The great paradox of the Christian life is that we are called to be losers. When we lose, we win. Through death, we live. And to truly live is to truly love. That's how Jesus will have it. In a moment, we're going to gather around this table. And let us remember the last words of Paul in this letter as we gather around later. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, brothers and sisters. 
is coming back to grace through sheer grace. Grace all the way that we have been given a place at this table. Not through our own efforts, not through how good we are, by sheer grace. We bring nothing to the table. So let's open the table up to anyone who desires Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for giving us each a place at the table. May this community here and the Christian communities all over the world be filled with love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Make us one, Lord, so that the world may believe that you came to save the world, to reconcile us to you and us to one another. Make us one, Lord, so that the world might have a foretaste of the new creation that is evidenced in the people who are called by your name. The people of the one Lord. The people of the one faith. The people of the one spirit and one baptism. The one body of Christ. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your great sacrifice that has enabled us to have this one family, not just in community church, but all over the world. The one body, the one family. Because you have taken, broken down the wall in your death, in your, in your suffering and your death. You have given us the greatest gift of life. So we thank you so much. Help us. Help us to run after what your heart is most passionate about. Help us to love one another well. In your precious name we pray.